All right, if you, uh, if you have your Bibles tonight, let's begin in Genesis chapter 1, verse 26. Genesis chapter 1, verse 26. Some of the things that we're going to go into greater depth with tonight um, are going to be things that we've mentioned at least um, in passing. I, I want to say there was a class maybe about six weeks ago that, um, that we went uh, into, a little, and we normally do that early. Uh, and I think it was God-ordained um, when we were talking about two realities in the same person at the same time. Um, it's hard to even begin to process that without some baseline understanding of spirit, soul, and body. And so tonight, that's what we're going to, uh, to, to talk about, at least begin to talk about um, spirit, soul, and body. Before we read the verse... Just a quick review, um, we're, we're answering this question, um, what is uh, man? And um, we've looked at these, uh, uh, you know, several different uh, things. Um, we said, number one, that man is a God-class being. Number two, man is a spirit being. Number three, man is legal authority on planet Earth. Uh, number four, man is a being created in God's image and likeness. And then... That number four, created in God's image and likeness, we broke that down and we looked at specific characteristics or specific attributes that we possess because we have been created in God's image and likeness. And we wrapped that up last Wednesday evening when we were talking about the ability that we have to speak. So God created man and gave us um, a, a choice and a voice and how Jesus came to take away our sin, baptize us in the Holy Spirit, and literally reconnect um, our ability to speak with Him and His Spirit, enabling us to fulfill the prophecy that He would cover you with the shadow of His hands and put words in your mouth and use those words to plant the heavens. Amen. So tonight, we're going to look at this fifth, um, aspect of or answering this question what is man so number four man is a is a being created in the image and likeness of God and then number five man is a triune being triune being now um, sometimes auto you know correct on my computer doesn't like the word triune um, so I don't know if there's a hyphen in it or not but the idea is uh, T-R-I U-N-E, so tri being three, un being one. Um, so if you prefer a triune being or a three yet one being, three yet one. Now, before I go into this, I want to kind of give you a little background um, on why I believe that this is so important. I've often said when I begin to teach this that an understanding of um, the three dimensions of man, that sometimes we'll use that expression. Um, if you want to put a subheading under triune being, I call this also stickmen theology. Stickmen theology. So the idea is we have stickmen, but, you know, theology being the study of God. And so, again, this idea of stickmen theology are the three dimensions of man or man being a triune being, I believe an understanding of these truths 
will literally answer for you at least a thousand questions. And I, I know that, I, well, you just throw out that thousand, whatever. Um, I'm, I mean that sincerely. Um, there have been so many things in my life that I never understood from the Word of God until I understood that I was a three-dimensional being. There are so many things that the Bible, you know, it's kind of like when Jesus had the conversation with Nicodemus, and Nicodemus did not understand the difference between things that were spirit and things that were flesh. And so everything that Jesus said to Nicodemus, Nicodemus was trying to understand it from a fleshly perspective. Remember, he said, you must be born again. And, and Nicodemus like, how can a man, when he's grown, go back into his mother's womb and be born a second time? It's because he was looking at everything from a fleshly or physical perspective. And as the dialogue continues, we may look at some of that um, before the evening's over, but as the dialogue continued there in John chapter 3, it was like Nicodemus reached a point where he was frustrated, maybe even, if it's not too strong a word, exasperated. I imagine him throwing up his hands in front of Jesus and saying, how can these things be, right? It's like, how is it possible? How, what are you talking about, right? And Jesus fired right back at him. He said, how are you a leader of my people in Israel and do not understand these things? In other words, he should have understood this. He should have known this. Here was a man who had risen to the, you know, basically the top of, of, of the Jewish religion and was responsible for taking the, the words of God and explaining them and imparting them to God's people. And yet he was clueless when it came to the difference between something that was physical or fleshly in nature and something that was spirit or spiritual in nature. Now, I bring that up because, again, when you read the Bible, it's as if the Bible expects you to know this. The Bible is written, in other words, if, if I was to ever do a, I was, you know, kind of kid around about the New Winslet International Translation of the Bible. If I was to ever do the New Winslet International Translation of the Bible, I would put some kind of, of uh, marginal note, some kind of footnote, some kind of reference to every verse that has to do with spirit, soul, and body to help orient the reader to these things. Now, let's go back to the Bible is written from the perspective of that we should know this already. Well, if you think about it, <laughs> you ever had a conversation with yourself? You ever had one part of you wanting to do one thing and another part of you wanting to do another? So in some ways, it really is a given that you are a multidimensional being. You know, where your flesh is pulling you in one direction. And, you know, it, it, it praise God, a lot of what we call conscience um, is really a mistranslation of the Scripture. If you go to the word conscience in some of the tr biblical translations, and you go to the original language, it doesn't mean conscience at all. It's not talking about Jiminy Cricket. It's talking about consciousness, awareness, okay? So a spiritual consciousness, a spiritual awareness versus a physical or fleshly consciousness, fleshly awareness, right? So, you know, there is, don't misunderstand me, what we call conscience is often, again, mistranslated in the Scripture in the sense that the Bible says of this in the book of Romans, what about people who were never given a copy of the commandments. Well, the Bible says those commandments still written on their heart. 
You don't have to know that God said thou shalt not kill to know killing somebody else is wrong. Right? You don't have to know that God said thou shalt not lie to know to look somebody in the face and tell them something's not true is wrong. That's written in us. Because again, we were created in the image and likeness of God. So the Bible, I'm going to say it again, the Bible is written like Nicodemus going, I don't know this, how can I know this? And God's like, how do you not know this? How, how is it that you don't understand that there's a difference between the outward part of you and the inward part of you? Because it's, again, something that we interact with, feel the pull of almost every day of our lives. Sometimes we are very aware of that pull, sometimes not so much, but it's still there. Yes, are you, it's still there. You know, the Holy Spirit speaks to you, leading you. Because see, if you're born again now, the Holy Spirit's inside of you bearing witness. The Holy Spirit's leading you. And He's not leading you with a ring in your nose, dragging you, right? It's that still small voice inside of you. So that's, that still small voice inside of you says you ought to help Him. And then another part of you says we helped people before and it got ugly. It, it, it blew up in our face. It, they took advantage of us. It got in to be way more than we you know, meant to be involved with. right? In other words, you, so now all of a sudden you've got an argument going on. Who are those voices or what are those voices? Where are these two dimensions or two entities, if you will, coming from? And how do we understand which one is which? Because obviously being led by the Spirit is how we all are committed to living and yet we still, even in spite of our best efforts, sometimes wind up going with the flesh instead of being led by the Spirit. So when I say that, an understanding or a better understanding of this, a working understanding of this, a realization of this, a real-time recognition of these things, in other words, so that it doesn't, it doesn't deceive you or fool you or catch you off guard, but like when it's, when it's taking place in your life, I'm not trying to get weird, but it's almost like you, you're outside of yourself watching it go on, you know, and it's like, <laughs> I know what this is, I know what's going on here, I know what part of me is telling me to do this, and I know what part of me is telling me to do that, and I'm going with what the Holy Spirit says in my born-again spirit. So, again, that's what I mean by a, a practical working knowledge of it. Not just that we drew some stick men on a page and listened to Pastor Mark talk about it for a little while, but where this becomes you know, a, a part of the way we function um, with this realization and this, and this understanding. Um, of these things. So there are, there are so many questions that if people had a better understanding of spirit, soul, and body, um, they, would, they would have the wherewithal to be able to make sense of these things and answer these questions, right? Yes? It's going to be hard because the situation you have left, Florida, 
I know you know this, so but let me just let me just say this. It's not that you still have to deal with it, but you and the Holy Spirit are going to deal with it when it's time. Amen. Amen. He's got you, brother. All right, he's got you. There, no, I know. I know you know that. I'm just. I'm not saying that to correct you. I'm, all right. I'm not saying that to correct you. I'm saying that to encourage you. Right. So just relax. And he didn't bring you this far to, to remember that. Have you ever th- have you ever thought about this for a moment? God does everything that he does. Uh, I mean, miracles like this world has never seen before to get his people out of slavery in Egypt. He's feeding them every morning. He's water's flowing from the rock. He's keeping them warm with, a, with fire and, and safe with fire by night. He's covering them with a cloud by day because it's hot in the desert in the day and it's cold in the desert at night. And what did they say of God? He brought us out here to kill us. What in the world? He brought us out here to kill us. That's all. It's just all a big, I mean, it's like God's like, <laughs> and you thought I was for you. Now I'm going to kill you all. No, it's like, what in the world? You see what I'm saying? But, but we, how many times, though, have we been right where, where they are? Oh, God, I can't believe, you know. No, he's, the same God that brought you here is bringing us home from here. Amen? And he's, he's already gone ahead of us, and he's working on things in our futures before we get there. Praise God. All right, and we'll talk more about what you just brought up there, Michael, because, you know, um, without getting too far ahead of myself, you've learned that if you set your mind on the things of the flesh, you're going to go after the things of the flesh. But if you set your mind on the things of the Spirit, you're going to go after the things of the Spirit. And it's so critically important for us to develop that. Like you said, you recognize, I've got to spend time in prayer, I've got to spend time in the Word, I've got to spend time fellowshipping with the Holy Spirit and with Jesus. Because what are you doing when you're doing that? You're setting your mind on the things of the Spirit. And so when we find ourselves, you know, you talk about the collective consciousness, think about the, the uh, I don't forget the first time I went to Tulsa, Oklahoma. Tulsa, Oklahoma is a godly city. It's a, it's, it's a beautiful city, but it's, it, the Spirit of God is, I'm not saying the Spirit of God's not here, okay? And, and, and you're not saying the Spirit of God's not at CLCC, okay? But he's definitely there, right? But because Tulsa is such a unique city in that there are so many beautiful, wonderful, not just churches, but international ministries that are based there. It's kind of become a hub. You know, It's like they build a Mercedes plant and then all these suppliers, everybody else comes down there. That's what's happening in Tulsa, okay? So the whole the, the collective consciousness, to use Michael's term, of that city is tangible. It's tangible, right? You can walk in a place and know whether the love of God's there or not. Where, you know, the more we start becoming connected with these things and familiar with these things. So um, you know, that's one of the things that makes this class, I mean you individually, this class as, you know, so special as well as others that have come behind you, is you put forth a lot of effort to be here at 5 o'clock, sit here for almost two hours, that attitude, that heart, creates a dynamic between the Holy Spirit and the Word of God and all of us that's life-changing, right? So, um, amen. So keep that in mind as well, that you have the ability to change the atmosphere in any room you're in by the things that you say and by the things that you do, both positively and negatively. Possibly and negatively, right? You ever walked into maybe a friend's house and 
You didn't hear them arguing. You didn't, you didn't experience them arguing. But you knew, man, somebody's been fussing and fighting in here, right? The tension is so thick, you almost cut it with a knife, right? It, so, um, so, so if you say collective consciousness is just a figment of somebody's imagination, you're wrong. It's, it's the atmosphere that's affected uh, in a spiritual way. All right. So Genesis chapter 1, verse 26, it says this, God speaking, Then God said, Let us make man in our image according to our likeness. Let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, and over the cattle, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. Now, we've referred back to this verse multiple times now. We could keep on reading all the way through 28. But this is really enough here to make the point, at least, that we want to begin with tonight. And that is, once again, if you've heard this before, if not for the first time, I want to draw your attention to the plural <laughs> pronouns. The plural pronouns. Plural meaning more than one. Pronouns meaning words that are used in substitution for proper names. All right? So God said, let us. Us is a plural pronoun. If you underline things in your Bible circle things, you might want to just mark this or make some note. Okay? But he said, let us make man in our image. He did not say, he did not say, let me make man in my image. That's a singular pronoun, okay? He did not use singular pronouns, he used plural pronouns. Plural meaning more than one. Let us make man in our image according to our likeness. According to our likeness. So this brings us back then to what we know about God. We know that God is a trinity. This means that God is three yet one and at the same time he is one yet three now there are certain things as I've mentioned uh, throughout our time together that are spirit in nature and therefore can only be understood by faith that doesn't mean we just pretend like we understand it when we don't to understand something by faith means to understand it with the heart as opposed to understanding it with the brain there are certain things that your brain does not know what to do with, does not know how to compute it or, or comprehend it. Where the heart, by faith, is well able to comprehend it, well able to receive it and, and process it. Okay, um, Let me take just a quick journey down this pathway for a moment. All right? When someone, let's use this as an example. Uh, someone is, let's say, through some injury or through some illness, someone loses one of their five physical senses. So let's just say someone loses their eyesight. What we do in that situation is we try to compensate for the loss of one by the use of another. So someone loses their ability to see. Next thing you know, they're learning how to read with their sense of touch. They're substituting the sense of touch for their sense of sight. Same would be true someone loses their ability to hear. Now they're learning to listen with their eyes by reading lips. Now, it's never as, in other words, there's never a, a perfect substitute for this. It's just a stopgap measure to make do, to help a person continue to function, right? So as we as we go through these things, we're going to talk about the day that we lost our heart connection with God. In other words, we were created by God to be led by His Spirit. Our, our brain was never meant to rule us. Our, our brain was never meant to be the, 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 the primary 
uh, driving factor in our lives. It was always meant to be our heart, and I don't just mean the physical organ, but the inward part of us, the inner man, um, uh, inner man with a womb, inner womb man, right? This was, this was to be the part where we understood things, the part where we converse with and have fellowship even with God in, that, in the inward man, in that inward part of us. But when we lost our connection with God in that inward part, we did what someone who all of a sudden becomes handicapped with one of their physical senses. We substituted our brain in place of our heart. So now instead of living, you know, being led by the Spirit of God from faith in our heart, most of humanity is now living, um, you know, making decisions and all the things that involve life from their brain instead of their heart. Now, the problem with, with, with this, or the problems with this are many. The one thing I at least want to get to tonight is that the brain is primarily an organ of survival. Your brain is designed to keep you alive. So anytime we try to substitute our brain for our heart, it's a poor substitute because you're, all right, let's just, for instance, with the heart we believe, with the heart man believeth. Am I going too fast for you here? I wasn't ready to get to this, but I feel, for some reason I'm feeling so drawn to this right now, so just praise God. Let this wash over you for a minute. With the heart man believeth, Romans 10. So faith or believing is a function of the heart. We were created by God to live by faith. We walk by faith, not by sight. I mean, that's where we've been on Wednesday nights now for a couple of weeks, all right? The just shall live by his faith. So faith is how we were meant to live. Faith is a function of the heart. We were meant to live out of our hearts, not out of our heads. But when we lost our heart connection with God, in other words, our hearts died, we substituted our brain in place of our hearts. So again, the problem with this is faith is a function of the heart. Faith is how we were meant to live. Anything that has to do with faith, your brain considers to be risky. Your brain says, hold on a second here. Tither, you lost your mind. You're not even paying your bills on 100% of your income. And now you think you're going to you know, give God 10% of it and you're going to make it on 90%. Right? Listen, it's not that your brain is being bad or disorderly or disobedient when it does that. This, your brain's job is to keep you alive. Your brain's job is to alert you to risk. Your brain's job is, are you following what I'm saying? But where, where we get in trouble is when we allow our brain to overrule our heart. When, when we choose not to act in faith because our brain has deemed it risky behavior. Yes, are you following what I'm saying here? Alright, now, that's <laughs> what he's banking on, it's what he's working hard at, right? To try to put those thoughts and things of that nature um, in our mind. Alright, I'm not even sure how we got there, but I just felt led to go there for a minute. So, Let's come back to it. So God says, let us make man in our image after our likeness. So God is a trinity. Oh, I know where we got there. God is a trinity. You'll never understand it unless you understand it by faith. It's a concept that is beyond the comprehension of the human brain. One last example here, and I promise we'll move on. All right? God is a being without beginning and without ending. Okay? He has no beginning and he has no ending. He has no beginning, and he has no ending. Sister Dot said tilt. Anybody remember tilt on a pinball machine, right? You just, you just 
put something in there that it, that it can't function anymore. In other words, your brain doesn't know what to do with that because everything your brain has ever experienced has had a beginning and will have an ending. So this is where a lot of people have trouble even with the very existence of God because they think if they can't conceptualize it in their brain, then it can't exist or it can't be. Are you, are you following what I'm saying here? So let me show you then, when it comes to the, to the concept of eternity, we almost try to trick our brain. I'm going out on a limb. I want you to go with me for a minute. It's, it's like we try to trick our brain into comprehending eternity. Am I the only one, especially as a child, I used to lay awake at night trying to comprehend eternity. Am I the only one? I, mean, I feel like, like, like smoke's coming out of my brain cells. You know what I'm saying? Um, and so what we then, so when I say we try to trick our brain into comprehending eternity is one of the ways the brain works is it's like a giant file cabinet. So let's go back to it. Something without beginning, something without ending. Our brain has nothing in any file cabinet that it has inside of it to go to, to pull out and say, oh, Rocco, right there it is. Right? You see, there's, there's nothing there. So in an effort to try to understand eternity, we try to load things into the file cabinet that we can then pull out. Have you ever heard the one um, that goes something like this? When a bird takes a beak full of dirt, flies from the earth to the moon, and spits it out, and comes back, right? By the time the bird moves the entire planet earth to the moon, the first day of eternity will pass. <laughs> it's like, what? Am I the only... I'm the only one on that one? Really? Never heard that one. What about if the earth was a steel ball and a caterpillar was going around the earth? Never heard that one either, huh? I was a strange child, I guess, after all. Amen. <laughs> the caterpillar goes around the earth, and by the, the time it takes for the caterpillar to wear the earth in half from friction, first day of eternity's passed, right? In other words, what, what's the point? If you've ever laid there... All right, one last one, and it's okay. Y'all can pray for me after this, all right? If it's, if it's 0 for 3, if it's 0 for 3, you know, I, I'm not going to say weird. I'm a, I was a special child, okay? How about, <laughs> ah! all right, how about, how about this one? Have you ever laid there trying to imagine eternity and felt like you almost had it and then it was gone? What are y'all doing with your minds and imaginations, people? Come on now. God gave that to you for a reason. The, the sleeping. <laughs> Probably what I ought to be doing. All right. Okay. But did you ever feel like you were almost there and then it's like. <sighs> okay. All right. Okay. There you go. Because eternity is a long time. Twenty-four hours. So not that I. We're going really weird, okay? Not I don't believe I don't believe in aliens, okay? If I believe a lot of what people call aliens, there's actually spiritual activity that they've experienced, okay? If by some chance one of those planets out there is inhabited right now, then God created them too, and He's over them as well, all right? Um, so, but again, people talk about, you know, being abducted. But have you ever thought about 
that, uh, that poor bass that got caught and then thrown back into the water and him trying to explain to his buddies what happened to him. Come on in. Right? I was swimming along. It's a beautiful worm. I thought it was the best looking worm I've ever seen. I grabbed the worm and they took me out of here. Right? And they did all these crazy things to me. They put this thing in my mouth. They, they hooked me on something that gave numbers up top. They were all high-fiving one another. And then they threw me back in the water. And his buddies are going, yeah, right, right. Yeah, so, but it's what you're talking about. It's, the, it's the, the, the consciousness, right? One more. I got one more for you. I may have already given you this one before, okay? My dog's smart. Have I told you that before? My little Yorkie, he, he is smart. Matter of fact, not, not only is he smart, he knows how to work me. I mean, he knows how, and, and I guess he's getting older. He gets ready to go to bed before me and Pam, and he's ready to go to bed, Lou, and he'll put on a whole show and get our attention and, you know, also do all of his little tricks. I mean, not even, just unannounced. He'll jump off the sofa, get down on the rug in the middle of the living room, do all these tricks, look at us, and then run to the bedroom. Like, it's time to put me in bed, right? So this dog is smart. He has a level of intelligence, but he's not as smart as me. Not as smart as me. He can work me, though, so maybe that makes him almost as smart as me, right? He's not as smart as me, okay? So why then is it so hard for us to comprehend a being that would have a longer life span, even an eternal lifespan, right, that is even infinitely smarter than us, right? I'm talking about God here. See, it's so arrogant for us to think, well, you know, I'm, I'm way smarter than all these other creatures, but there's no way there could ever be a being that's smarter than me. Who, who are you kidding? Who are you kidding? I believe God even gives us glimpses into that in the, in the, in the natural realm. You ever heard of something, someone called a savant? Somebody that you can say uh, uh, December 3rd, 1962, and they can tell you that fast a day of week it was? That was a Tuesday. How do you know that, right? Yes? Now, come on now. Somebody say yes to that one. So, you know, 6 times 4 times 3 plus the square root of 93 divided by 1,000 times 17. And they go, oh, well, that's 43. And you go, how did you know that, right? And so, again, it's, it's showing us even a human brain that's operating on a level that is unimaginable for us. So if there, if, if there are human brains that can operate on a level that's unimaginable, why do we have this trouble believing that there's a God who, you know, can write a 33 billion character code that is you, right? It takes 31 years night and day to read it. They do. <laughs> it does. You're right, brother. Yes, sister. Having never heard him. 
So how can someone who can't hear play, never had a lesson, play music at that level that they've never heard? I'll tell you how. There's only one answer. Well, the Holy Spirit. But that symphony came from one source. It came from God to Johann. It came from God. You follow what I'm saying? It's a flash. It's a glimpse, right? These things are, all right. I'm not going to apologize to y'all, but I will apologize to everyone who's listening in their cars now by CD, like they've lost their minds in class. Okay, so we're having a good time. Is everybody with me still? <laughs> so I'm just trying to show you how we try to comprehend things with our brain that our brain was never created or intended to comprehend. By faith, we understand the worlds were framed by the word of God. That's what Hebrews 11 tells us. We, don't, we were never meant to understand all of that. Um, and so God understands physics that have not yet been discovered yet. He understands uh, mathematical formulas that have not yet been um, uh, discovered, realized, okay? Yet, when he gave us the account of creation, he just gave us a few paragraphs. He could have given us an 18-wheeler full of volumes, but... At the end of the day, I try not to use that expression too much, but when it's all said and done, right, the answer's still the same. You'll never know it unless you know it by faith. You'll never understand it unless you understand it by faith, even if you had it all explained to you, right? All right, let me try to get back focused here. Thank you all for indulging me there for a moment. So God is a trinity. This means he is a three yet one being. As is the case with things that are spiritual, many times there are patterns in the physical or fleshly realm that will at least represent in some way um, things that originated in the heavenly realm. So here are a couple of examples. First is the concept of time. Um, time is made of the past, the present, and the future. Um, you can't have time without all three, yet all three are distinct in some way. That's not an exact, <coughs> excuse me, that's not an exact, uh, you know, analogy, if you will, of the Trinity, um, but yet it is something that is three yet one and one yet three all at the same time. Um, my personal favorite is the idea of water, also known as H2O. Water can be uh, frozen in the form of ice or solid. Water can be, as we most often think of it, in a liquid form, and it can also be heated uh, into steam and become a vapor. So you have uh, water solid, water liquid, water vapor, or H2O solid, H2O liquid, H2O vapor. All three of these are water, but what we have in this example is um, three different forms of H2O, and because they are in different forms, they also have a slightly different function, right? So in the same way, um, Father God is God, Jesus is God, the Holy Spirit is God. All three of them are God, all three of them in, again, H2O. But they are different forms of the same and also serve different purposes or have a different function. But I'm offering to you tonight that the greatest representation of a three-yet-one being in the created realm is you, it's me. God created us in His image, in His likeness, right? 
So a three yet one God created a being in his image and in his likeness, or said another way, a three yet one God created a three yet one being. You are a triune being. Okay? Remember again that image and likeness is referring to the way we look, also the way we function. So we were created to look like God and to function like Him. Amen? Now, next uh, very important verse is 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 and verse number 23. So um, I know sometimes taking notes is hard to turn to these verses, but I would like for you to, uh, to turn here because I'd like for you to mark this because remember these classes are taught not just uh, for your benefit but to equip you to effectively help other people that the Lord brings into your path as a minister of reconciliation so first Thessalonians uh, chapter 5 and verse 23 first Thessalonians chapter 5 and verse 23 all right and it's a fairly simple verse amen but again strategically placed by the Holy Spirit for our benefit the verse, I still hear some pages turning, so we'll give you a moment to get there. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 and verse 23. It says, Now may the God of peace Himself sanctify you completely. King James Version has the word holy there, and, um, but not H-O-L-Y like holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, but holy, W-H-O-L-L-Y, entirely or as the New King James Version translates it completely. So again, now may the God of peace Himself sanctify, that word sanctify means set you apart, okay, to Himself, not just from sin, not just set you apart from this world, but set you apart from sin, from this world, to Him and to His purposes for you. May the God of peace Himself sanctify you completely, semicolon, and may your whole spirit, soul, and body be preserved blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. May your whole or entire spirit, soul, and body be preserved blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ is going to mark a very important transition for you and me, for the church, um, for this earth, and there's a, there's a lot that's it's going to happen. We've seen transitions before, um, and the next big one is going to be this transition. At this point, um, lots of things are going to happen. Lots of things are going to change, both for you and me personally, individually, uh, all the way to um, things set in motion that will uh, lead to the actual salvation or redemption of this planet um, itself, the actual cosmos, all right? Now, the reason this passage, there's a lot of reasons, but the reason I really want you to look at it tonight is that we have spirit, soul, and body all named specifically in one passage. So the three that are you, when I say you're a three-dimensional being or a three-yet-one being, the three that are you, spirit, soul, and body. Now, I want to fine-tune that a little bit, and I like to say it this way, all right? you are a spirit, 
that possesses a soul and lives inside of a physical body. Again, you are a spirit. You are a spirit. We spent um, at least one class, maybe more, on the point, what is man? Man is a spirit being. Your enemy is hoping that you never understand this about yourself. Your enemy is hoping that you will always look at your, yourself, your life, from a physical, fleshly perspective, that you'll think of yourself as a physical being. And remember we said this, a physical being trying to have a spiritual experience. You are not a physical being trying to have a spiritual experience. You are a spirit being experiencing a physical world. Amen. There's a huge difference that's being communicated in that. I know we've already covered all that. If you weren't here in those days, the, the CDs, of course, are available. We'd be more than happy to get them to you. It's also online. So let's go back to it. You are a spirit. That's you. That's the real you. Amen. The real you is the part of you that we can't completely see right now, but, it, but it's the part that is the deepest um, dimension um, of your existence. So you are a spirit, you possess a soul. You possess a soul. Soul's not you, but it's something that is a dimension of you and enables you to ultimately express who you are. We'll talk about this more in just a moment. And then we said that you are the spirit, you possess the soul, but all of that lives in or is contained within your physical body. Now, when I say stickman theology, I, you know, one of the things that I ask the Lord consistently to help me do is to take the complex and make it simple. This is what Jesus came to do for us. He took 400 and was it 13 or 14 commands, laws, ordinances, and simplified them to two. Love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. He said on these two commandments, think of that as two anchoring points, curtain rod suspended between them. He said all the law and prophets hang on these two. Right? Yes, you follow me? You got the visual image? Love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. He said, on these two hang all the law and prophets. Okay? If we fail in either one of these areas, what happens? This bracket breaks, what's going to happen to all the curtains? <laughs> They're going to fall off, right? So, on these two hang. As long as we love God with our heart, soul, mind, and strength, love our neighbor as ourself, every, everything in the law and prophets will be fulfilled in our life and practice. Okay? So, notice he took something very complex I mean, you realize that they had prescribed ways to wash their hands. I mean, it, this, was, this was some serious stuff. He took something that was very complex, very difficult to do, and simplified it and made it doable. So doable that not only can a child do it, a child can teach an adult how to do it. That's Jesus, right? So my, my strategy, I, and it's probably just my own, uh, you know, weakness and inability I'm not trying to throw rocks but you know it seemed like and I'm sure I was wrong and if I wasn't then the Lord knows but it seemed like I had some teachers and pastors and preachers in my youth and in, in my young adult years that was it's like they were determined to see how complicated they could make it. it just seemed like they were determined to see just how high they could set the bar that we had to try to clear and and you know use all these different words and terms and stuff 
And that's, that to me is not the heart of Jesus. You know, Jesus had so many followers that couldn't read and write. Education was, wasn't as prevalent and, and certainly not as free um, as, as it is in, in our world today. So I'm not, they were very intelligent people, but they weren't learned like the, you know, the, what the word would say. Um, but yet these people connected with him, related to him, understood him, learned from him. Are you, I mean, the one in whom is hid all treasures of wisdom and knowledge, right? Kids climbed up in his lap and could understand what he was saying, all right? So part of, you know, the idea of stickman theology is to take something as simple as a stickman and use it to represent something as important and as profound as what's being communicated by them, right? Now, the origin of this is I was counseling a young man one day, and I was trying to help him understand the difference between who he was in Christ and the behavior that kept manifesting in his flesh. And he was of the belief that because he continued to sin, then he wasn't saved. Or because he continued to sin, he was not righteous. Because in his mind, he couldn't understand how he could be something here that he was not here and here. So I was trying to explain to him the difference between the part of him that was spirit, the part of him that was soul, and the part of him that was body. And it just it wasn't computing. <coughs> and so I grabbed an envelope, turned it over, grabbed a pen, and I scratched out three stick men and wrote spirit under one, soul under one, body under the other to try to help him see and then began to use scripture to show him that there was a distinct difference um, according to the Word of God, between the part of Him, the dimension of His existence, that's the Bible calls spirit, the Bible also calls another part of Him His soul, and, a, and another part of Him His flesh. Now, this verse is also important because there are many, I say many, there, there are some anyway in the body of Christ, who do not believe in a three-yet-one being called man, but they believe in a two-yet-one being called man. In other words, they believe that the spirit and the soul are the same thing, and then we have the body that these basically same thing are contained in. So it's a dichotomous, I think, is it's the fancy term for it. Um, and I don't, to be honest with you, I always try to understand why people think what they think. Because to me, I mean, it's not even close as far as the scripture is concerned to support that. But there are, I mean, I don't know if you ever run into somebody like that, but I promise you they're out there. So what we see then in this passage in 1 Thessalonians 5 and 23 is that the word translated into our English word spirit is actually the Greek word pneuma. Okay? So he said your entire pneuma, your entire, this word is, I say suche, I don't know if that's the correct pronunciation, P-S-U-C-H-E. That's the, uh, the Greek. And um, of course, it doesn't take much to figure out what this, English words we get from this, psyche, psychology, um, so forth and so on, right? Um, so pneuma is the word for Spirit, suche is the word for soul, and then soma 
is the word used for body in this passage. So, I, I don't think there's anyone here that's like fighting against three yet one, or that believes two yet one. Um, but again, you know, these, these words mean something completely different. <laughs> in other words, Numa and Suche are not synonymous. They don't mean the same thing. Um, these are speaking of completely different aspects of us, okay? Um, by the way, we get our English word pneumatic from that word pneuma, like an air tool or an air wrench, um, uh, pneumonia, breath, uh, exactly. Um, so, you know, from these three distinct words. Amen. I got some notes on that here in just a minute, sister. So, um, no, you're fine. Um, now, let me, if I'm seeming a little scattered, I, I'm just, there's a lot of stuff that's here, and we're trying to, as we always do with like a funnel approach, is go from the broadest understanding of it and then build on that, but, but break it down into a more narrow focus and application and understanding in our lives, okay? Let me tell you, it's not the only reason. It's not the only reason. But an understanding of spirit, soul, and body is, an, is a must if you ever want to understand the new birth. I, don't, I didn't say receive a new birth. There are a whole bunch of folks who are born again that have no idea what happened to them when they were. Have no, they have no idea who they became the day they became a new creation in Christ Jesus or why or what it means, right? And so I'm trying to give you, you know, a, a, a broad uh, view of spirit, soul, and body and, and look at some of the things the Bible has to say about it um, and then we're going to begin to break that down until we ultimately use it to take a really deep and intense look at our salvation, our new birth, and then from there understand it's kind of like you know, where we began, talking about enmity, um, why the renewing of the mind is the centerpiece of discipleship. Okay? When you, and I know, I know not all of you were here in the beginning, but in the beginning of this class, we made some statements. One of those statements was this, okay? This class is not about becoming something that you're not. Um, this class is about discovering who you became the day you became a new creation in Christ. You've already become things. You know, we got a little excited last Wednesday night. I don't apologize for that. I, I uh, whew, praise God. I was, I was excited about that on into the night hours. Amen. Um, but... You know, we were just talking about the things that dwell within us, the things that have been placed in us um, because of our new birth, because of who we are in Christ. And so to understand that this is the real you and to understand who you became the day you were born again and then to have your mind renewed to that as opposed to your mind being, you know, in cohorts with fleshly things, physical things and viewing yourself in light of what you've done here versus who you became here all of these things are um, central to our growth and development all right so i'm kind of give you a little brief insight into where we're headed with all this and why it's so critically important but let's um <clears throat> let's back back out for just a moment all right now when we talk about <clears throat> the, the spirit the soul and the body of these three dimensions the physical body is the one 
that for the first time, really, as I was going over some of this, I'm, I'm not, the simplest thing for me to say is we know the most about the body, okay? And as far as humankind goes, that would be accurate. Now, as we're growing in our understanding from the Word of God, right, we're beginning to learn more about the mind, will, and emotions, which, by the way, is your soul. I'll get to that in a moment. And, and also the spirit. But as far as like research is concerned, as far as like modern science is concerned, as far as even, I hate to say it, but even modern day Christianity is concerned, the overwhelming um, you know, volumes of understanding and knowledge uh, you know, are from and about the physical body. This is the part that most know the most about. And then coming inward, the next layer inward, um, we come to things pertaining to the mind, emotions, and will. So your soul, to better understand it, um, is the part of you that thinks, the part of you that feels, and the part of you that chooses. This part of you is your mind, emotions, and will, also known as your soul. Now, when we talk in terms of our soul, when we talk about things that affect us mentally, things that affect us emotionally, well, we know that these are some pretty powerful things in our lives. For instance, we know that things pertaining to, like, depression, um, things pertaining to anxiety. Um, for instance, the Bible says anxiety in the heart of man causes depression. Okay? So, I mean, the Bible understands this. Are you hearing me? The Bible understands this. For far too long, the secular world has looked at the church and said, you're not qualified to speak on these things. Well, I'm as qualified to speak on these things as my father who wrote this book, the Word of God, right? And what he has to say about it. And his answers, despite all the world's efforts to try to attack him and tear him down, he knows what he's talking about. And because he knows what he's talking about, we can know what we're talking about. So anxiety in the heart of man causes depression. So when we talk about things pertaining to... Um, uh, mental issues, emotional issues, and then when it comes to our will, our ability to choose and make right choices, okay? All of these things are elements or components that would be um, identified as your soul, the human soul, okay? So we've got the body that we know the most about, generally speaking, then we've got the soul, and this part of us we know far less about, understand far less about than the physical body. As a matter of fact, let me show you, and, and I believe as the Holy Spirit continues to teach and reveal to us, amen, and when I say us, I mean the church, but also to the world through the church. Do you remember the day like, and there's pretty good evidence that we killed the father of this country by thinking if we let some more blood out of him, we'd make him better. And we, we thought that, you know, they, we learned enough to be dangerous that when there's infection in the blood, that's a bad thing. And so we thought, well, you know, if we just drain some of that blood out of him, it'll help him get better, okay? And we just drained a little too much. And, and uh, so I'm just showing you how crude and rudimentary, you know, some of those physical treatments once were. Remember the woman with the issue of blood? The Bible says she had suffered many things at the hands of the physicians, okay? If by the time George Washington days rolled around and they're trying to treat blood issues and wind up possibly killing him, how much more? you know, how much, let's say, less did we understand in her day, all right? You still with me? 
Sometimes I fall into a pattern. I don't want my voice to get like monotone on you, all right? So thank God for all the, you know, things that we know about the human body and how to help it, how to fix it, beneficial, so forth and so on. But we're kind of back, we're still in the bloodletting days when it comes to mental and emotional stuff. Uh, in, in the sense that basically we can identify when someone has an issue here, but the best answers the world has is to put a pill in the mouth of the flesh, right? To try to turn off some switches in the brain to help someone cope with the discomfort or torment of mental and emotional issues in their life. Yes, brother. Come on, brother. So even, even when it comes to things like where people can't seem to control the choices, right, we have things like methadone now. We have things like Suboxone now. We, and there's more of those things to come, medically assisted uh, recovery and things of this nature. I'm not, if you have an opinion on that, I love you. I'm not here to try to throw some kind of, you know, hand grenade in the middle of our class. But notice, though, again, that these are medicinal pharmaceutical treatments to try to help someone deal with an issue that is soulish in nature, not physical or fleshly in nature. All right? Now, so I was going to drink of this. Let me get a drink of this, all right? Then comes the Spirit. Now, not so much you and me, not so much you and me, but if the world knows the most about this part, generally speaking, and less about this part, generally speaking, then we're almost clueless when it comes to this part. I say the world now, not you and me. Um, but still, many in the church. Remember Nicodemus? He was, a, he was a doctorate with multiple letters behind his name, and yet when it came to the difference between something that's spirit and something that's flesh, he had no idea. He had no idea what Jesus was talking about, even though he could probably quote the Old Testament entirely. He had no idea. He could quote Proverbs where it said, anxiety in the heart of man causes depression. He had, but he had no idea, right? what these things were. So, if this is the real you, and this is the part we know the least about, reckon that's a problem. Reckon that's an issue. And certainly, Satan's, what, ignorance on our part is advantage on his. Yes, my people are destroyed for lack of knowledge. My people are in bondage for lack of knowledge. My people have a hunger that can't be satisfied for lack of knowledge. My people have a thirst that can't be quenched for lack of knowledge. So, lack of knowledge, pretty big deal. Especially when it comes to a lack of knowledge where spiritual things or things of the Spirit are concerned. Alright? You still with me? Now, let me, let me get to this part right here. And because when we, when we talk about... Let me just write a word up here. Alright? We've got the word material. Okay? Think uh, matter physical matter, right? But if we come in here and if we put a, an I-M right here, we just went immaterial, okay? Now, this is another one of those things that is challenging for us because in order to fully understand it, you have to understand it by faith. But there is a part of you that is material or matter in the sense that it is physical, it's flesh and blood, bone, it can be weighed, it can be measured, what have you. But then the other two dimensions of you, they are, they are immaterial. Okay? 
Immaterial in the sense that they are not physical matter, but they are real nonetheless. Okay? John G. Lake referred to, to this part of you as spiritual materiality. Okay? Now, so the idea is that it's matter of a different kind. Come on now, who's with Pastor Mark? It's, it's material of a different kind. Heaven's not an imaginary place. Heaven's a real place. Okay? Yes? It's a real place. Amen. And so it's, it's made up of material, but not the same material as what we have here. Amen. As a matter of fact, what we have in heaven is a superior materiality to the inferior physical materiality that we put so much confidence in. I'm not trying to lose you. I'm just trying to show you something here. Because A lot of times when we start talking about something being immaterial, we think imaginary. And that's not the same thing. That's not the same thing. Okay? I think I've used this example before. You know, car comes flying by you. You're sitting there waiting to turn. Car comes by you. And your car moves, right? Well, what happened? They didn't hit you, but they were pushing so much air ahead of them as they came by you that the wash of air that you can't see, right? Um, but air has material. I'm just trying to get you close, okay? <laughs> There's air something real. We're breathing it right now, are we not? Yes, okay. But nonetheless, it's something you couldn't see, but it moved you. It had an effect upon you. So when we start talking about the spirit and soul, we're talking about the part of you that is immaterial. It's not physical matter, but it is material or matter nonetheless. Yes, Chris? There you go, okay? So that would not be the right application here because this... this And yeah, well, that's sure. That, and certainly the devil, the devil wants us to have that attitude. I got you down what you're saying. I'm picking up what you're putting down now. Amen. So in other words, the devil wants us to think this is immaterial when in the sense that it doesn't matter, but it absolutely, positively, uh, definitely, definitely matters. Okay? Yes? All right. Part of me is kind of stalling because I know we're kind of at about the time where folks are ready to take a break and restroom all stuff, but the, this next part is the part that I really want everybody to hear. So amen. Every time somebody comes back in, I say, well, okay, then this is back. I'm not, if you got to go, go. Amen, please. Um, all right, so <clears throat> the Bible's two-thirds immaterial. Two-thirds immaterial. Absolutely. Reckon. Reckon. Amen. Amen. Because we put so much emphasis on the material part of us, and not only is this only a third of our existence, it's the only part of us that is temporal. This, this part of us is going back to the dust. This part of, you follow what I'm saying? This part of you is not eternal. This part of you is eternal. This part of you is eternal. This part of you, Paul said it was a tent, that this part of you will one day move out of and then move into a permanent house, not made with men's hands, right? Now, the Bible says of your physical body that you have been fearfully and wonderfully made, okay? When we talk about this being the temporary part of us, this being the material part of us, this being, you know, basically the physical and, and this part originating spiritual, remember God formed Adam from the dust, he formed his earth suit, his flesh from the dust of the earth, and then breathed into him as a container, 
spirit and soul became a living soul or a speaking spirit, different translations, you know, back in the creation account in the book of Genesis. So, but this, your body's no joke, man. Are you, are you hearing what I'm saying? I mean, when you think about the complexities, when you think about all those billion digits of, of coding that, that literally run your body, that determine the color of your eyes and, and even your mannerisms and so forth and so on, right? Um, it is a fascinating thing. So I'm not by any means trying to belittle or diminish the body or the importance of the body, but what I'm trying, I guess, maybe say it this way, is to provide you know, some type of, I don't balance it in the word I'm looking for here, but in other words, maybe it is, because we're so out of balance in thinking of the flesh as being us and, and the most important part of us and, and all there is and what have you, when it's really not, it's, it's really a container, fearfully and wonderfully made by God, by, by, you know, amen, fascinating, and there's still things about the human body that we're discovering, but as beautiful and as amazing and as fearfully and wonderfully made as this part of us actually is, what, it, what, it, <laughs> what we need to think of it and, and look at it primarily, harmony. harmony, yes, amen, we'll certainly get there, um, but we need to think of it as just a really elaborate glove, a glove, okay, so if, if a glove was laying here on the podium, just by itself, it would be lifeless. But if I pick that glove up and put my hand in the glove, now the glove comes alive because there's life in the glove. Now, if you see a glove moving, especially on the end of somebody's arm, you don't go, oh, that glove's come alive. No, it's we recognize that there's a hand in the glove that is animating or bringing to life the glove. So in this case, the glove is what we see, but we know that there's more going on than just the glove hanging off the end of somebody's arm that's become alive, but that it's actually the life that's in the glove that's making the glove move. Now, I'm not trying to get all fancy pants on you by saying this, but listen to me please, all right? The glove is simply giving expression to the life that is in it. If you take the hand out of the glove, the glove can't snap its fingers anymore, the glove can't shoot you love anymore, the glove can't wave by anymore, blow you a kiss anymore, right? Because the life that was in the glove, that was, that was expressing itself through the glove, is no longer in the glove, right? So, when we talk about the complexity of the human body, what we need to understand then is the reason the human body is so complex is because God created the human body with the ability to give expression to the spirit and soul that is interfaced into it. Are you following what I'm saying? Ah, sweet Jesus. So like some of the early days of robots, you know, I mean, it's like they were, they were cute at best, but they're a joke, right? They're making them more and more and more because computers are advancing more and more and, you know, the mannerisms and, and, and all these other things, all right? So I'm not trying to freak you out on artificial intelligence or anything like that, okay? Um, somebody said the other day 
that given this new generation that's eating Tide Pods, y'all heard about this, right, where the Tide Pods, they're eating them. Um, he said, you know, I used to be afraid of artificial intelligence, but if that's what we've got coming up, he said, I'm actually looking for some artificial intelligence maybe to have an intelligent conversation with one day. Uh, they'll know better than to eat Tide Pods. But anyway, that's just for here and there. All right, so... Now, I'm not, talking about, I'm not talking about babies. I'm talking about teenagers, yeah. Oh, oh yeah, it's Tide's fault, right? Okay. All right, I, listen, I don't, you know, I have been so fighting distractions this year, and here I keep distracting us over and over again. So the idea then, one more time, is that the body was created in such a way as to be able to give expression to the spirit and soul that, that is contained within it. Remember, we've said this over and over again, death means separation. Death means separation. So physical death is when your spirit and soul separate from your physical body. Spiritual death is when your spirit is separated from God. Death doesn't mean non-existent. Death means separation. Physical death is when the spirit and soul come out of the glove that is the body. Or spiritual death is when the spirit is no longer connected with or made one with God. So the physical body then is the most elaborate interface that has ever been created. It was created by God to be able to express in the created realm the spirit and soul, right, in his image and likeness, the spirit and soul that he has placed within this, I like to call it an earth suit, an earth suit. If we go to outer space, we can't survive in outer space um, without a space suit. We, won't, we can't exist in that environment um, without that. And you can't exist in this environment without an earth suit. If you become separated, listen to me very carefully, if you become separated from your earth suit, um, you can't stay here. You've got to go somewhere, but you can't stay here, right? Because you have to have an earth suit to exist on planet earth. Now, why am I spending so much time on this? Well, watch this now very carefully. If the body is an interface for the soul and the spirit, then this means that the mind is separate from the brain. Alright, so let's just draw it red since it's Valentine's. Alright, so we got this thing up here in our head called a brain. Okay? The brain and the mind are not the same thing. Come on now. The brain and the mind are not the same thing. I'm going to say it again. We see it. You say, wait a second, Pastor Mark, you're getting me confused now. No, no, listen to me. Brain and the mind are not the same thing. Brain's a physical organ created by God. I'm going to say that there is more about the human brain we do not understand than there are things we do understand about it. That's how complex the human brain actually is. I found out a week before last that the human brain consumes 25% of your metabolic energy. I mean, it, it requires some fuel to run and function up inside of our heads. That's why when we fast or we get dehydrated, our brain starts to hurt, right? Our heads start to hurt. It's screaming for some fuel, right? But your brain is matter. Am I right about this? Come on now. Y'all looking at me like, I don't know what I'm talking about, right? You got this, right? You just thinking about it? Your brain is physical matter. Your mind is not physical matter. But your brain was created in such a way as for your mind to interface with it and give expression 
to its complexities. Why is the brain so complex? It has to be complex in order for the mind that operates, let me say it another way for you, that operates through this brain. Yes, we talked about my little Yorkie's brain. I mean, his head's about that big, right? It's like about, I imagine his brain's not much bigger than an egg or maybe even a walnut, right? Your brain, on the other hand, much larger than that. Much larger than that. And much more complex than that. Because this brain was created by God to interface with this part of you called your soul or your mind. Let me try to explain it to you this way. What about people who've had near-death experiences? Or, I'm sorry, not a near-death experience. They died. I'm talking about brain dead. I'm talking about, sure enough, brain dead. No brain waves going on in the meat computer. I just like to call that, right? Let me slip that in on you there. I like to call the brain the meat computer. It's a meat computer. And um, no activity going on in the meat computer for, in some cases, for an extended period of time. Then all of a sudden, this person comes back either through you know, we could say medical efforts or divine intervention, but I think they're one and the same. All of a sudden, this person comes back. They were brain dead, but when they awaken, many times they have all kinds of elaborate memories about what was happening during the time that their brain was dead. Yes? You see what I'm saying here? All right, so <clears throat> I get asked this a lot. Obviously, spirits born again going to heaven. People say, what about my soul, Pastor Mark? Right along with it. Right along with it, okay? This is why there's a lot of different verses. You'll know as, as you'll be known as you, you will know as you were known. In other words, we'll recognize one another there. Right? I, let me stay off that. So the mind is a separate component. This is not 100% accurate, but it's close. So we'll use it, all right? Hardware, software. Not 100% accurate, but that at least gives us some idea that you can have the hardware of a computer, but that computer will not function without software plugged into it. The computer gives expression to the software that's in it. If you update your phone, your phone functions differently than it did before the update. Phone's still the phone. Why is it functioning differently? Because what was plugged into that phone and what that phone's now giving expression to has changed internally. You can get a phone that, that acts differently, performs better, differently, whatever, still the same phone. What's changed is what was put into it, plugged into it, that it's now giving expression to. See, The brain's the glove. That's exactly well said because the brain's part of the glove. It's just a really fancy glove. <laughs> I mean, yeah, fearfully, wonderfully made glove. Uh, you know, given all that we understand about the brain, we've but scratched the surface. You know, this, there's a, there's a little bit of thing that I bought into it, and I said it for years until I was corrected on it. People say we only use um, a very little part, part of our brain. You've probably heard that. that's not true. We're using parts of our brain. We just don't know why or what they're doing. <laughs> you know, so, so <laughs> praise God, we didn't figure that out yet. So, uh, so well said, thank you, Judith. The, so the brain, then think of it as the glove, the mind, you know, being a microcosm of what we're talking about here, generally speaking, the mind being plugged into and interfacing with the brain. You with me still? 
Some of you looking at me like it's really late. All right, we're getting there. Let's try to finish this part. Now, you've got to get that part because we're fixing to go a little more, yeah, okay? <laughs> Emotions are more than neurochemicals. What are emotions? See, we think in terms of how they make us feel physically. And we know that there are receptors in the brain, there are chemicals in the brain, there are feel-good chemicals, there are um, chemicals that speed you up in the brain, there are chemicals that chill you out in the brain, there are chemicals that massive uh, release in times of crisis, uh, can help mamas with angels lift cars off their babies. In other words, there's some very powerful, potent chemicals, not just in the brain, in the gut, you know, in, in what we would call the endocrine system of the body. Still with me. So emotions are more than the release of and the uptake of certain chemicals in the human body. In the same way that the brain is the glove for the mind, there is, and we're still a lot of this we don't even understand, but there is a physical, material system in the body that is designed for the emotions that are the soul to plug into and therefore give expression. Right? Heavy stuff. So do you see why all, all of, when I say all of man's answers, that, that may be just a general sweeping statement, but, but man's answers all have one thing in common. They are an outside-in approach. So you've got a problem internally, some issue with our emotions. The only answer we have is to take something physical, put it in our mouth, and swallow it that alters the way this part of us functions, the way our, our, our neurochemical and all that receptors and uptakes and all that stuff functions, turns some of it off, blocks some of it out. You know, what we're really trying to do, you ever seen a, uh, a switchboard? You know, there's all kinds of, pardon the, there's all kinds of switches, you know, and it's like you're trying to change a light fixture and your panel's not marked and, you know, your wife's up, you know, in the bedroom and, that one, get it, honey, you know, you know, clicking it and that, no, you turn that one back on, you click another, you wind up having to reset all your clocks, right, you know, okay. Because we're trying to find the one switch to turn off the one circuit. That's not how um, psychotropic medicines work. They come in and they start doing this. They switch off whole sections in hopes that we will get the one that we were trying to turn off. I, I'm not blasting it. I'm not. I'm just. I'm just telling you. Jesus bled to death naked for better than that for us. Just saying. All right. Um, so, but I'm not blasting. I'm not judging. I don't know. You know. Amen. People always start getting fidgety. They think I know their doctor and know the medicine they're taking. I have no idea. No idea. No. Pharmacy in Hebrew means witchcraft. Yeah. 
Oh, yes, many. <laughs> okay. And, of course, where that came from was, you know, the, they would mix all these medicines that would alter the, right? We, we have a natural defense for our spirit. It's our mind. Resist the devil, he'll flee from you. That's why Satan begins when we're very, very young to try to break down any part of our resistance. He can break it down. He don't want you to be able to resist Cheerios. He don't want you to be able to resist donuts. He don't want you to be able to resist cigarettes. He don't want you to be able to resist sex. He don't want you to be able to resist pornography. He don't want you to be able to resist laziness. He don't want you to be able to resist, you follow what I'm saying? Just anything he can do to attack any area in your life that you have the ability to resist, he's after it. It's, a, it's kryptonite to him, and it's, so therefore it is, it is a target that, um, that he's trying. So when we take, <clears throat> have you ever heard this expression? Mind or mood-altering substances. Okay, <laughs> so what do they do? They lower, among others, some of them lower our inhibitions. Right. So I'm not ever doing drugs again, but I'll still drink beer on the weekends. We well, drink the beer; the beer lowers the inhibitions. Now your ability to resist the other things. Well, maybe you know how that story ends. All right. So, so, <laughs> all right. I got to stay focused here. So again, our an- our answers then are to take something here that changes stuff here. But it, it, hasn't, it hasn't even touched the real problem. Because emotions are not physical. They're expressed in a physical way, but there's, there's something immaterial about them. Let me just say it, let me say it another, one other way, okay? <laughs> You've got to have God's help. It's a, it's a scratch you can't itch. You, it, you know, like that spot in your back where you're trying to get it. Yeah. <laughs> You know, you can't get to it without him. It's in a part of you that you can't touch, you can't fix without him. He's got to help you with that, right? Well, either way, yes, ma'am. There's something really deep there I was trying to communicate. No, (laughs) praise God. Oh my goodness, this is taking a long time. Are y'all okay? Let me. Let's do one more. And and um. Uh, Chris mentioned it a moment ago. Perhaps you have heard of the idea of psychosomatic. Anybody ever heard that? Psychosomatic. What is psychosomatic? Psychosomatic is, is, is the study of the, of the, well, they call it the, the mind body or brain body, but brain body is the same thing. So if you notice where psychosomatic comes from, suche somo, soma, Psychosomatic, psychosomatic. So it's talking about the effect that the mind has on the body. The effect that the mind has on the body. Now I'm going to give you a number, and I look it up just about every year, and I looked it up again two or three weeks ago. And I'm and the reason I keep looking this number up is because it does not seem possible to me. A lot of times when, when, we, when we look up some numbers, some statistic, you know, we're looking for one that's really extreme that we can put out there and shock people and get people's attention and people go, wow, I didn't know that, right? This is the one statistic, and I'm not a big statistics guy because y'all probably already figured that out by now, okay? But this is the one statistic that I'm actually, I've actually looked to try to find one that's lower because it's so big of a number, it doesn't seem possible. I'm like, this can't be. 
surely somebody out here has done some research that's proven that number's not right. But when I looked it up this time, I found another study. This one was done by the Harvard School of Medicine that supported this number, recently supported this number. Are you ready? Somewhere between 75 and 90% of all doctor visits are stress-related. 75, between 75 and 90%. Can I tell you why, it's the, why there's a gap there? Of all the different numbers and all the different research that I've looked up, the lowest number I can find is 75, and the highest one I can find is 90. I'm, I was like looking for, is it in the Genesis book? I'm like looking for a 60%. Something like oh, 60%. Okay, 60%. No. Between low number 75, high number 90% of all doctor's visits are stress-related. Man, what in the world? As a man thinketh, so is he. It's the power, no, well, yes, but all those are factors in it. But it's the power that this part of us has over this part of us. It's the power that our minds and our soul and our thinking has and, and the way it affects um, our bodies. Let me, let me just give you a couple, two verses. How about that, two? Proverbs chapter 17, verse 22. Proverbs... Chapter 17, verse 22. A merry heart, you probably know it, right? A merry heart does good like a medicine, but a broken spirit dries the bones. A merry heart does good like a medicine, but a broken spirit dries the bones. If you want to do some research, Google stuff, whatever, Please read it. And it's true. And it's true because God said it's true and God knows because he created us. But what research has found, Long studies, brief studies, big studies, small studies all come to the same conclusion. Mary Hart does good like a medicine. The one that was most interesting to me is that not only does laughter have immune building um, effect as well as um, cause the release of endorphins in your body, um, that have healing properties. Not only does laughter cause that, are you ready for this one? Fake laughter. Fake laughter. In other words, if you just ha, 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 you're not even really, you're just phoning it in. You're just making it up. In other words, you're not even genuinely laughing. Even fake laughter has health benefits associated with it. So what are we seeing here? We're seeing... There's lots of reasons why we talk about this. One, because I want you to see that God knew this before people ever knew it or believed it. But there's a powerful, powerful connection between the soul and the body. And of course, 
also include the Spirit into that. Now, notice that this powerful connection is not just positive because in the same way that the merry heart does good, the brokenness, the depression, the sorrow, these things um, are you know, negative as far as their effect on us. Um, one verse, I don't have, I said I was going to give you two, but one verse says that, that bitterness dries the bones. Bitterness being unforgiveness left unchecked brings it literally now listen don't don't you go out of here thinking i'm blasting you I, i'm not but just hear me now when you look at the statistics and some of this is diet some of this is a lot of things but cases of arthritis rheumatoid arthritis all of these things right the drying of the joints the 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 brittling of the bones osteoporosis all of these things um they are skyrocketing, almost like epidemics in our, in our world today. And so, again, if you, if you have arthritis, maybe you took too many shots playing football. I'm not, I'm not accusing you of being unforgiving or bitter or anything like that. But, but we cannot ignore or deny what the Bible teaches us about these things. That, that you know, this is a factor. It's like Pastor Rick, one of his... <coughs> things that he quotes or reminds me of often when there's pain in the body that seems to have no physical cause it's usually always something spiritual or something from the inward man producing that result Absolutely. 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 Mark 11. All right. Let me give you one last verse. One last, one last verse. Proverbs chapter 3, verses 7 and 8. It says, Do not be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and depart from evil. Those are attitudes, right? Humility, not wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord, depart from evil. It'll be health to your flesh and strength to your bones. That's Proverbs 3, 7 and 8. Um, the book of Proverbs is filled, filled with... Um, I think the one anxiety in the heart of man causes depression. Is that Proverbs 7, Chris? I think we were talking about that yesterday, as a matter of fact. So, um, was it 9? Um, well, I, I can certainly get it to you next week. Next week as well. So. Hallelujah. Uncontrollably laugh all the time. Um, I, uh, I, I. Thank you, sister. 1225. I was thinking 725.
Read it again. Y'all listen to this one. Proverbs, she's going to read it from the Passion Translation. Proverbs 12, 25. Amen. That's the Passion Translation. The New King James is the one. Anxiety in the heart of man causes depression, but a good word makes it glad. The good word makes it glad. And then Donna's verse, she didn't know it was a verse, the righteous should choose his friends carefully. The way of the wicked leads them astray. All right, so in the same way that all of man's answers are an outside-in approach, we try to fix spiritual things with, you know, go buy a new dress. <laughs> you know, it's like we, some kind of spiritual problem. We try to do something, alter something here to fix things here and here. It'll never work. In the same way that all of man's answers are outside in, God's answers are inside out. He doesn't try to fix the soul by doing something through the body, but he fixes things in the body by doing things in the soul. And he fixes things in the soul. You follow what I'm saying? So it, this, we'll explain this in greater detail next week. This word zoe is a, is a Greek word that speaks to the life and nature of God. The life and nature of God, these arrows denote direction. The life and nature of God flowing from God into your spirit, from your spirit into your soul, from your soul into your body. From your body out into the world, you will lay hands on sick and the sick will recover. Because these hands are connected to something all the way back to the very throne of God itself. Amen? So, um, when we talk in terms of emotional, mental issues, now, obviously, and Jesus dealt with this as well, there can be either problems from birth or problems that or, you know, some type of injury that damages the meat computer and causes it to, to malfunction in the sense that it's not effectively giving expression to the mind. That's a completely different issue there. But again, God brings healing here as well. Um, but, <clears throat> so the idea is that many times we try to fix something here by changing something here, and it doesn't work that way. You fix something here this way, not this way, not backwards. Not from the body to the soul to the spirit, but from the spirit to the soul to the body. You're exactly right in that, absolutely. Alignment, harmony. You said harmony earlier, didn't you? That's where the harmony that Michael mentioned earlier comes in. Because a lot of folks, their soul still is more aligned with the things of the flesh than the things of the spirit. And that's just the journey that we're all on right now. Exactly. So basically, we anesthetizes the glove, right? But it doesn't. And that's, you know, there's some other things that are associated with all this, but, but you know, all these feelings are important, and, and you have to feel to heal, you know. 
That's why a lot of times people don't, they don't like those things, you know, mental, emotional stuff, and so they try to keep them turned off and, and heal at the same time, and it just, that's, it just doesn't work, right? It doesn't work, so. You get anything out of this? All right, let me pray for you. Let me pray for you. Father, you, yes, sir. Oh, my gosh. Yes, thank you, Lord. Amen. Amen, absolutely.